Well, good morning uh, once again, and I'm Camper Monday, associate pastor here, or for those that I have yet to meet, uh, and a, again, a happy Advent season to you. This is the, the third Sunday of Advent, so it's hard to believe Christmas is right around the corner. Uh, also right around the corner, as in about a half hour from now, we will have wrapped up a sermon series in Philippians. Uh, we have been in uh, this letter of Paul's for the past three months, since the, the middle of September, And the title for our sermon series has been Growing Up, Growing Close. Uh, Growing up in the gospel and in our relationship with God, and then simultaneously through that, growing close together as a community. Uh, A community that is founded on God's grace and rooted in his mission. Now, throughout Paul's letter, he highlights theme upon theme upon theme, all these gospel truths that he's, he's trying to drive home in our lives. And among those are these. Partnership in the gospel. Unity in Christ. The unity that, uh, that comes as we express it through humility and generosity and sacrifice and love. The fact that Jesus is the only source of real life and true joy. And of course, the coming great day. That, je- that day when Jesus comes back and makes all things right. The second advent. Well, our text this morning is Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 23. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 982. Uh, That's the English Standard Version, uh, 982. Uh, But before I read our passage for us, uh, please join me in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you for meeting us this morning. For the gifts of music and prayer, the gifts of of one another, our our fellowship together, our opportunities to give and also to receive. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. And we pray right now that once again you would open our hearts to your word. That you would open your word to us, that we would not only be filled with information, but that you would meet us and by your spirit in grace, that you would transform us. For we believe, but help our unbelief. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since this is the the final sermon in our Philippians series, I thought what I would do is is read the bookends of Paul's letter. So even though we're going to end up in chapter four, I'm going to begin in chapter one, verse one, read the first 11 verses, and then we'll skip uh, on over into chapter four, verse 10. Uh, So beginning in Philippians chapter one, verse one, hear the word of God. Paul and Timothy. Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. 
For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit, the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Well, I want to remind us that at the time Paul is writing this, he is actually in prison. Now, anytime I have read the book of Philippians, I seem to forget that so easily. Because Paul is just so full of joy. It just every page is just overflowing in joy and confidence in the gospel. And I think this guy has just got it made. And then I hear the moments where he says, and you share with me in my suffering in prison. And I'm right. He is held in a Roman prison guarded by Roman guards 24 seven. And not only that. But Paul is possibly awaiting a death sentence on death row, if you will. And yet, again, full of joy throughout this entire letter. And then here at the end of the letter, full of gratitude, thanksgiving. And and here in our part of chapter four, at the heart of this thanksgiving that's expressed to the Philippian church, we find Paul's heart of gratitude toward God. Again, here are these three verses. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then we have the echo of that at the very end, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I have learned to be content. Are you content? Are you content in any and every circumstance? How can you be content when you are facing so much uncertainty? When you face struggles, disappointments, hurts, frustrations, when your life seems to be falling apart, when you are always under pressure to perform? How can you be content when you've lost your job? Or maybe you're afraid that you'll lose your job. When your bank account is moving closer to empty. When your relationships are so full of conflict and confusion. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe you desire to be married, but you're not. Maybe your children are making all the wrong choices. Maybe you wish you had children, but you're not able to. Maybe a friend has let you down. How can you be content? How can you be content when your spouse or parent or child or best friend has died or is facing death? How can you be content when your body is ravaged by cancer or some other disease? Maybe for the first time. Or maybe it's back again. Is contentment even possible? And if so, how? Well, in light of these questions, this morning the Apostle Paul invites us to consider two additional questions. What is true contentment? And how do we become truly content? What is true contentment and how do we become truly content? So first, what is true contentment? Well, for that, I didn't have to reach very far. There was my Merriam-Webster's dictionary sitting on the shelf. And really, I think it summarizes our common cultural understanding, or maybe I should say misunderstanding. Because this is what I read. Contentment is being satisfied With one's possessions, status, or situation. Did you hear that? In other words, contentment, this says, is being satisfied with what you have, or where you stand in comparison to other people, or what your station in life is. And really, there there are two basic views of this type of satisfaction. Uh, We might call one the minimalist view, and the other the materialist view. Uh, The minimalist view says basically less is better, right? If I don't have much, then I won't have much to worry about. And so I'll be content. I recently read a book about a minimalist. Uh, One author that I really enjoy reading is John Krakauer. And I I read his book uh, Into the Wild. And this is what the front cover says. In April 1992, a young man from a well-to-do family in Virginia 
hitchhiked to Alaska and walked alone into the wilderness north of Mount McKinley. His name was Christopher Johnson McCandless. He had given $25,000 in savings to charity, abandoned his car and most of his possessions, burned all the cash in his wallet, and invented a new life for himself. Four months later, his decomposed body was found by a hunter. A minimalist. Now, an extreme example. I realize that. But here was a young man who wanted to strip himself of everything, and he was searching for contentment. And in the book details how he could never attain it. He just could never quite grasp contentment. Well, then there's the materialist view. And and I really think for both views, the minimalist, the materialist, we we both have uh, some of each of those in us. Probably in our culture, most of us would tend toward the materialist view, which says more is better. If I have more, then I'll have what I need when I need it. And so I'll be content. Now, a name that is probably familiar to uh, most of you, John D. Rockefeller. Uh, Very grateful around here for the the Rockefeller Foundation, which uh, uh, Colonial Williamsburg has been a great uh, beneficiary of that foundation. You probably know that uh, Rockefeller was the first American billionaire. And you probably also know that he was once asked, how much is enough? And his response, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Now, here was a successful businessman that I'm sure we can all relate to millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. But seriously, a guy who who had so much money, had so much of everything and needed just a little bit more, did not have the contentment, could never attain it. And you, you see, the problem is that both of these views seek contentment based on circumstance. Based on circumstance, either how much or how little one has. And yet here in the text, we see that Paul has known what it is to have almost nothing and face hunger and to have just about everything while facing plenty, abundance. And in both circumstances, Paul says that he has known contentment. Not because of how much or how little he had, but because of who he had. Or rather, who had him. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. And so, true contentment must be something different. Something other than our common cultural understanding that it is being satisfied with one's circumstances. Okay, before we look at this concept of contentment a little bit more closely... A few things that contentment is not. Because if you're anything like me, sometimes you hear that word contentment and it frustrates you. You think, how could I be content? And a friend says to you, I'll pray for your contentment. And you think, you just don't understand. So three things contentment is not. True contentment is not denying suffering or pain, or disappointment. It's not about denial. You see, that that was a Stoic view. And if you remember from last week, Paul is attacking the Stoic view 
And he does so with the, with the view on contentment. He, in fact, Paul, if you read his letters, he is very clear. He admits his own struggles. He has ups and he has downs. He revealed a couple of those in chapter 3 of Philippians. I can think of a couple places uh, at the end of Romans. And 2 Corinthians is a great book to read if you want to see that Paul really did have struggles. He does not deny them. True contentment is not liking everything that is going on in your life either. Paul does not like being in prison any more than you or I would like being in prison. In fact, Paul speaks of his longing to be freed so that he might go visit these churches that he's planted or that he's at least written letters to. Paul wants to be out there on the move, doing the work that he loves so much, being with people, visiting from church to church. True contentment is not settling for less than things ought to be. Paul states that he has not yet arrived, and so he presses on. He presses on to grow in faith, in faithfulness. He exhorts others to do the same. Paul works toward making wrong things right. You see, contentment has nothing to do with complacency or passivity. So true contentment is not denying pain. It is not liking everything that is going on in your life. And it is not settling for less than how things should be. So back to the question before us. What is true contentment? Well, Paul writes, I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret. I can do all things through him. Who strengthens me? Well, the word that Paul uses here for contentment or or content, uh, a word that he only uses two other times, uh, but a term that is used regularly in Greek philosophy. Now, I've already referred to the Stoics and their use of this word content expresses the ultimate goal of Stoicism, which is being self-sufficient. You see, it is a virtue of independence viewed as the highest of personal achievements, personal attainment, self-sufficiency. You see, because it emphasized freedom from needs and the absence of weakness. And if I don't have any needs and if I don't have any weaknesses, then I don't need God. In fact, I don't need you. I'm self-sufficient and ultimately consumed with self. Interestingly enough, that sounds a lot like the way that I often view contentment. And then Paul does a wonderful thing that he does with so many things, he puts the gospel touch on it. Paul takes this word that was owned by the Greek philosophers, and he turns it on his head. He infuses it with the gospel. And as Paul writes about true contentment, he expresses the ultimate purpose of the Christian, and that is Christ's sufficiency. You see, it is a virtue of dependence. Dependence on Jesus for all things. Paul emphasizes the freedom to be needy. He acknowledges the reality of our weakness. 
And he does this when he says, I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying that true, cont- Paul is saying that true contentment is not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. It's not about self. It's about Jesus. You know, when I was a kid growing up in Georgia, one of my favorite things to do was to go to Six Flags. Six Flags over Georgia. I got a lot of rain down there recently, and it was Six Flags underwater. Uh, but nonetheless, I remember it as Six Flags over Georgia. And one of my favorite rides, the bumper cars. I love the bumper cars. And in the midst of my, you know, bumping into my family and friends, sometimes I would think how cool it would be if I could bump my car out of the little, you know, bumper car ring and just drive all around Six Flags. I'd go from ride to ride. I'd get out and I'd go on a ride and I'd come back and there's my bumper car waiting on me. But the more and more I thought about this and the more and more my imagination got a hold of me, it occurred to me one day that my car wasn't made for that. If I got off, there's this long pole on the back of the car that touches this electric grid. And I realized my bumper car was not created to be self-sufficient. Now, bear with me for a moment because I'm going to liken you to bumper cars. I'll include myself. But we are like bumper cars. We are to be dependent on the source from above. We are to be Christ-sufficient Not self-sufficient. True contentment is not a position of independence. But rather it is a posture of deep dependence. A posture of deep abiding dependence on Jesus. That is true contentment. Dr. Richard Kaufman of Westminster Theological Seminary defines true contentment this way. He states that true contentment is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever you are facing. It is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever you are facing. It is being confident that through Jesus we are given what we need and when we need it. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. I was talking with someone about this earlier this week and was reminded of the first time that I heard this gospel truth. I was in college and uh, I had some friends who were part of Black Christian Fellowship. And so I went with them to uh, their revival on campus. And I think it was probably the first time I discovered that my black brothers and sisters, they worshipped a little bit differently than I did. There I was, you know, I was trying to make it in my white, not so much rhythm kind of deal, but, and they were patient with me. But one of the things that stood out to me was the way they called gospel truths back to one another. And this is the one that stood out to me. God is never late. God is never early. God is always on time. God is never late. God is never early. We serve an on time kind of God. And that has been ringing through my ears over and over this week. Being thankful for that truth. And do you know why they called it back and forth to each other? Because they knew how quickly we were to forget it. True contentment is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever you are facing. 
Okay, so now that, that, that we're beginning to gain a better understanding of what true contentment is, let's move to the second question. Uh, the second question that Paul invites us to, can, can we be content? How, how do we become truly content? How do we become truly content? Well, first, we need to repent. We need to repent of our self-sufficient tendencies. I remember uh, several years ago when, when Brandon and I were in campus ministry together down in North Carolina. It was a Friday morning. We just finished a staff team meeting. And I walked outside and, and one of our colleagues, Stephanie, asked me how I was doing. And I said, fine. And she didn't really believe, believe me. Uh, so she pressed a little bit and said, how can I pray for you? And I said, well, you know, I've been praying a lot recently that God would just make me more competent. That he'd make me a competent husband. He'd make me a competent friend. He'd make me in the list one all make me competent and, of course, competent uh, campus minister at the time. And then she looked at me and she said, Camper, maybe God doesn't want to answer that prayer. Because then you wouldn't have to depend on him. Of course, I was thinking, yeah, I bet you can back that up with scripture. And she did. <laughs> she took me to 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 and 5. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. And he has made us competent ministers of the gospel. We repent of our self-sufficient tendencies so that we might learn Christ-sufficient dependency. How do we become truly content? Well, second, we need to realize that Christ-sufficient dependency is learned. It is learned. Paul says that twice. Verse 11, I have learned to be content. Verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. True contentment, it's not a secret to go be discovered like you might be walking along the beach and you discover a diamond that's being hidden under the sand and you go, got it. It's mine. You put it in your pocket and that's end of story. But it's, it, true contentment is about learning. It's a secret that is learned and, and learning is a process. It has its ups. It has its downs. Sometimes we think we're really getting it and the next moment we realize we've really lost it. But God is patient with us. Jesus says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden and learn from me. Jesus is our teacher and he is a patient teacher. You know, think about a, a young child learning to walk. Takes those first few steps. Mom and dad are excited, stumbles and falls. Mom and dad get, come on. Could you not learn to walk a little bit quicker? No. I hear that's the way the Barretts do it, but um, but you know, seriously, we know that a loving parent is excited and cheers that child on as that child is learning to walk. Child falls down, mom and dad go and pick up the child. Our Heavenly Father is just like that with us, as we are learning to be Christ-sufficient people. How do we become truly content? Third, and finally, we trust. We trust Jesus. It's that simple. 
I didn't say it was easy. It's not easy. But it is that simple. We trust Jesus. As one theologian puts it, the apostle had learned to be content because he had learned to trust. The apostle had learned to be content because he had learned to trust. And we learn to trust Jesus when we turn to him. And there's so many things in this wonderful letter where Paul has encouraged encouraged us and exhorted us to turn to Jesus. And just a few things from chapter 4. We learn to trust Jesus when we turn to him. When we turn to him for our relationships. When we turn to him through repentance and forgiveness so that we might be reconciled to one another. The body of Christ. Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4. He wants us to to live out the unity that we have in Christ. It's not that we're reaching for unity. He says, brothers and sisters, you are united in Christ. Now live out of that reality. Be generous to one another. Sacrifice for one another. Be humble towards one another. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Love one another. We also turn to him in prayer. Do you remember that? If, if you're anxious, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And you'll know the peace of God. Verses 4 uh, through 7. We learn to trust Jesus as we turn to him with our thoughts. Our thought life, taking every thought captive to Christ. We looked at that uh, last week, verse 8. Thinking on things that are excellent. Gospel truths. And then he says in verse 9 that we, we turn to him through the way that we live. Not only think on these things, but practice these things. And he encourages us to, to follow his example. To follow the examples of others that have gone before us. Not because they have arrived, but because we can learn from them the rhythms of repentance and forgiveness And faith. Most simply, we trust Jesus. Now, one thing that I need to point out that is very important for us to remember. Contentment is not the goal. Contentment is not the goal. If contentment is the goal, then we will miss Jesus. Knowing Jesus is the goal. Contentment is the fruit of knowing Jesus, the fruit of faith in him. And as we grow in true contentment with Paul, we will grow in understanding the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. True contentment is being confident that we have all that we need for whatever we are facing. As I was thinking through this uh, earlier this week, Corrie ten Boom came to mind. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with her, a, a Dutch woman who was held prisoner in Nazi concentration camps. Uh, she's written several books, uh, probably uh, best known for The Hiding Place. And in that book, she recounts a story when she was a little girl. And she first was faced with the reality of loss and disappointment. In particular, it was because of the death of someone. And so she asked her dad about that. And this is what he said. Corey, 
When you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your train ticket? Why, just before we get on the train, Daddy, she replied. Exactly, said her father. And our wise and loving Heavenly Father knows when we're going to need things too. When the time comes that some of us will have to die or suffer, you will look into your heart and find the strength that you need just in time. I can face all things through Him who strengthens me. True contentment is being confident that we have all that we need for whatever we are facing. Again, the apostle says, I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You can face all things through him who strengthens you. You can face all things through him who began a good work in you. And you can face all things through him who will carry that work to its beautiful completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Along with the Apostle Paul, because God's word says it, I am confident of this. Please join me in prayer. And as we pray, I want us to hear another set of words from 2 Corinthians. Paul is reflecting on a very difficult time and affliction in his life. He's asked the Lord to meet him in that, and this is how the Lord responds. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to write, and and my prayer for us is that we would get more convinced and be able to write this too. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord Jesus, we believe, but help our unbelief. And we thank you for being all that we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.